0: Everything F1, driven by fans for the fans.
1: And it's lights out and away we go! As Verstappen goes into turn one and goes past the Mercedes! Oh! And Hamilton has gone from second in the race. Try again this time on the inside and comes to the touch! Verstappen is out of the race and that's a big crash! Ocon wins the Hungarian Grand Prix! Russell is still on provisional pole!
0: Hello and welcome to the Everything F1 podcast. We've got a very special episode for you today. We've got a very special guest to chat to. My name is James Tiller. Alongside me from the Everything F1 team today, we've got Steph. Hi, Steph. How are you?
2: I'm good. Thank you. Are you, James?
0: Yeah, very good. Thank you. Thanks for asking. We've also got Sean. Hi, Sean. How are you? Very well, thanks. Looking forward to this one. I am too. Our very special guest is Michael Italiano. Now, you might recognize the name, but we'll let him have a little brief introduction about who he is and what he does in the motorsport world. Hi, Michael. How are you?
3: Hey James, I'm I'm great, thanks, and nice to meet you, Steph and Sean as well. Yeah, so what is it that
0: you do in the motorsport world, in in the F1 world? Yeah,
3: so I'm, I'm Daniel Ricciardo's performance coach. So I've been in Formula One for like five years now, working solely solely with Daniel, doing all these preparations for each race, and obviously yeah, I'm away from the race, making sure that he's in like good physical condition and mental condition to yeah ensure he can perform essentially. So. Yeah, very very unique role. You probably see a lot of the drivers have their own uh, coach that kind mm-hmm. of stands by them and follows them around everywhere. So I'm I'm, I'm one of those guys.
0: Uh, so it sounds like a very very interesting job. But obviously you've you've been a in in kind of performance coach and and kind of as a personal trainer yourself for quite a while, haven't you? It's it's your career that you've done over many years.
3: Yeah, it, it wasn't my initial career choice. I I was studying civil instructional engineering. Believe, um, funny enough, for like seven oh, years. Wow. And then I, I made a, I made a transition to to follow a passion, which was health and fitness. It's something that I'm very passionate about and still passionate about. I love what I do. So yeah, kind of very grateful that I, that I, I guess built up the courage to, you know, pursue a passion because, yeah. you know, it's, it's very cliche to say, follow your passion, but sometimes it's uh, sometimes following your passion doesn't always lead to a very, you know, Fruitful, fruitful journey. So, like, yeah, for me, it actually worked out really, really nicely so far, and uh, yeah, looking forward to what lies ahead.
0: So, what made you become a fitness? Just, just it was a just a passion to be healthy, eat healthy, and and look after yourself in the gym, that sort of thing.
3: Yeah, I was also an athlete myself, not 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 on a professional level, but I, I think me just learning. Learning the basics of of training, nutrition, performance, and then applying it to myself within you know the gym out during training and then during match day. I'm a super competitive guy, and I just I was absolutely drilled and honed and making and just sh- seeing how I could like adopt you know particular training methods and and particular mm-hmm. you know n- nutritional methods and then see how it actually works from a from a competition perspective. And that kind of just hooked me. And I thought, oh wow, like. You know, I'd love to coach this, you know, because at the age I was, I was like, I wish I knew, I wish I had this knowledge seven years ago and maybe I would have gone a little bit further in my, in my athletic endeavors. So uh, yeah, that's something that I kind of got hooked on. And, and to this day, I, I, I continue to apply, apply new, new methods that I learned to myself. And, and then most importantly, ensuring that I apply appropriately to, to my athletes.
2: So, what what sport is it that you sort of like focused in and and sort of competed in yourself?
3: Yeah, I, I played I played football. So I guess the the, the European uh, Prop, sport, proper football, pro- <laughs> proper football as you yeah, as you call it. So I played that for ten years, and then I did the switch to Aussie rules, which we call AFL, which Australia calls football. Right. So yeah, I, I guess for yeah, I, I technically went from soccer to football, and then now I kind of I went played Aussie rules. And that was like my, my sport of, of choice eventually, as I got older. And yeah, there was a, it was a very, very fun sport, very brutal on the body. So my mm. body definitely appreciates what I do now from getting banged up every weekend. And that's for sure.
2: That's great.
0: And uh, what does being a, a fitness coach entail for transferable skills? Okay. From what you've previously learned in say Aussie rules football uh, and kind of transferring across to what you do now, how, what does it all entail?
3: Yeah. So strength and conditioning is a big one in, in AFL. So that's something that I've definitely transitioned across to, to Daniel and motorsport is making sure that, you know, st- you know structurally that my athletes are, are well balanced. There's nothing going on from like, you know, a mobility by performance. There's nothing from like, I guess there's no, like they've got no, no mobility issues. They've got, there's no stability issues. Just making sure that their body is moving. Right. Yeah. Because a dysfunctional muscle is is, is obviously something that you, you don't want in a, in a gym. is like, you know, if you're dysfunctionally not working or you dysfunctionally cannot squat, then there's no point. You're not going to get any benefit out of squatting, right? So that is something that definitely transferred over. And I think just f- from my side, just learning from my own experiences as an athlete, like making sure you got your lifestyle right, you know, like from a balanced perspective of, you know, yes, you're you're sacrificing quite a lot as a professional athlete to, you know, be great in your particular field, hmm. but also you need to have that balance and sure. Like, okay. Hang on a second. There, there needs to be some balance where you actually enjoy life as well and have enjoyments outside of your sport. So, so you know, that's something that I learned very, very quickly, just from my own very, very short experience of, of, you know, being, being a, a competitor myself hmm. and also making sure that you have a strong inner circle because being a professional athlete's tough, right. And it requires you to be very selfish Yeah. whether that sounds positive or not it's the truth like if you want to be the best at something there has to be an element of selfishness of course Yeah. and with that you know it's it's difficult so you can't do it all on your own which means there are times where you will have to lean on people and or a particular person so it's always so it's very important that you have a, a very close inner circle that you can trust and where your best interest lies lies so yeah, I guess there are two main things that I kind of like brought through like coaching from my experience, you know, with working with Daniel and other athletes, like, okay, making sure that they're right, they do have a good internal environment and also making sure that they do have a life outside of their sport. Yeah. So
0: I'm sure that's, that is key to it all. Sean.
1: Yeah. So you, you mentioned him there. So I suppose, like you said, the, the, I suppose the name you're most well known with is Danny. So I suppose, how did you meet Danny? Where, where does that relationship originate from?
3: Yeah, it was very random, won't lie. I met him through <laughs> a mutual friend within my teenage years, but Daniel was traveling quite actively at the time from from memory. So he was in Europe racing in Italy, trying to obviously pursue his dream of making Formula One. So he he flew over at a very early ish age to compete in the European Championships, you know, which is particularly like the the most common, like I guess route of actually getting to Formula One, especially if you're in Australia, it's like, okay, if you want to mix it with the best, you need to move to Europe quite early on. Cause that's kind of where the, the benchmark lies. So I'd only really see him maybe once a year, maybe over Christmas just to say good day and maybe do some like casual training together. Cause he knew that I, I was, I loved my training. Mm-hmm. He knew I had similar interests when it came to looking after myself and, you know, trying to improve out my performance as an athlete. So it was, that was always a a very mutual common interest of ours. So we always do a bit of training together, but it was very casual. Like we never spoke about working together from a professional level. And it was very surprising for my end of 2017. He sent me a random message at the end of, yes, at the end of the F1 season in 2017, Mm. he sent me a message and asked if I want to come on board in 2018, which was, Yeah. Very surprising. I was a strength, strength and conditioning coach at the time in Perth, WA. I had a had a range of clients, had a range of athletes, but uh, no 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 motorsport athletes. So that was <laughs> uh, it. Was exciting, but very daunting at the same time.
0: Did you say yes straight away, or did you did you have to think about it?
3: No, of course. I was I was very interested, but I, <laughs> I, I, I knew that I knew there was going to be some. Uh, yeah, I guess there had to be a discussion for sure. I didn't know. I guess I didn't really understand the role you know, mm. like coming on as his coach. I was like, okay, hang on. What does this actually entail? So yes, very interested, of course. So I waited till he came back to Perth in mid December. I think the message was like start of November. So he, uh, he left me hanging for about six weeks before he came back, <laughs> which, is a long, which is a long six weeks. Mm. And uh, when he finally got back to Perth, we sat down and and discussed the role and, and his expectations and what was expected of me and, you know what i had to change and what i had to do from you know what i had to sacrifice essentially and mm-hmm. yeah fortunately enough everything kind of fell into place and things had to move really quickly because preseason started in january and i had to pack my bags and move to europe and find yeah. a rental mm-hmm. and find a place to live and all, all that all that kind of you know nonsense you do when you when you move abroad bit of but, a whirlwind uh, yeah it, it was it was a massive blur for me like it it I didn't even get time for it to sink in. I I really, really didn't. Like I remember getting to race one in Melbourne and I think 2018 was the first year Netflix started. So that's like, that was like Mm -hmm. the first year like drive to survive was going to start. And Mm. I just remember seeing so many cameras (laughs) and I I did not, I did not expect it to be, I didn't expect a race weekend to be as hectic as it was. (laughs) And I remember him turning to me and he could see that I was quite, I was quite taken back, and he was like, "Don't worry, they're not all like this." <laughs> but uh, no, no, they they, they definitely were. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, when, once you kind of got the idea of the job, what what was it that you had to focus on for Danny? Was it lots of neck work and that sort of thing? Because as a Formula One driver, obviously you have to have a really strong neck with all the G force that you go under. Did you? Is that something new that you had to discover yourself when you took Danny on?
3: Yeah, fortunately enough, I I worked closely with his previous coach, just to get a lot of information about Daniel as, a, as, a, as an athlete, you know, what are his strengths, what are his weaknesses, understanding his training loads, make sure that I'm not overtraining him, what he, what his requirements are from a physical capacity, nutritional capacity, and kind of just worked with him for the first year. Um, he was just kind of like, I guess, sitting back and just, you know, if I had any questions, I had someone that I could lean to and, and have a bit of support. So I was quite fortunate there. I guess the first year, I was just a big sponge, I really was like I didn't really, I didn't really impact too much on my own personal coaching methods because because Daniel was quite developed at the time. I think he was seven years in 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 the F1 system when I came in, so you know he already had his ways and of and and methods of and and preparation of how what what worked for him. So I didn't want to come in and change a whole lot, not knowing too much about him. So yeah, the first year was a big big learning curve and just being a bit of a sponge, seeing what worked, and then having a bit of a debrief at the end of the year and kind of giving him my, I guess, synopsis and an overall view on, okay, this is what I think worked and this is what I think didn't work. And this is where I think we could do better. And then now over the years, I've just slowly molded to what I feel Daniel needs best. And yeah, what we did back in 2018 is completely different than what we do now. And that's the beauty of sports science. It's, it's forever mm-hmm. evolving. And there's is forever, is, you know, is forever different ways how you can, optimize performance, enhance, enhance athletic ability. And that's, that's something that I completely love. And that's, you know, I'll I'll continue to to try and break the mold of traditional coaching and making sure that I can get that extra 1% out of my athletes.
0: Steph.
2: Yeah. So completely moving on from like the whole physical side of things, Daniel's had a huge amount of success within formula one from the minute you started working with Daniel, what's been your favorite moment with him to spend with him and experience.
3: I guess it's an obvious one but winning's always nice and the reason <laughs> and the reason why winning's nice is because pe- people i guess you, you work hard for the result right and you you can't control the result but everything you work towards is Generally, in extrinsic goal, which is usually a result, whether it's winning a championship in in your own sporting field. So yes, it's it's very hard to go past as like one of I guess my favorite memory with Daniel. Have you got a specific win? Yeah, well that's what I was just about to go into. I, I guess <laughs> most most of, the, most of the podcasts that ask me these questions, I, I always say, you know, my first win's always quite special. So Shanghai twenty eighteen was quite special. He started, his engine blew up in practice in P three, P three. And he had major doubts going to qualifying that we couldn't even qualify. And the team was just absolute beasts and they replaced the engine. And we went, we got out with like, I think 20 seconds to spare in Q1. And mm. we just got, we just got a lap in and the, the, the car wasn't like completely set up to, to what he needed, but he ended up, you know, qualifying P6, which was a win for us. And then he ended up winning the race from P6. So that, that was good. And then Monaco was just probably the most perfect weekend I've had with him where he just. He topped the charts in every single session, went on pole, and then went on to win the race with an engine, we know, with it, with a, you know, with, a, with, a, with a, a slight, I guess, engine failure where I think he lost something like eighty horsepower mm. and had Seb Seb up the back of him for the entire race, which felt like <laughs> that race. That race felt like six hours for me, but it must but have felt I'm, like I'm twelve looking,
2: for Daniel then.
3: <laughs> probably, but I, I do I do think like looking back, like once once we me and Daniel finish up, I, I do think. I mean, hopefully, hopefully, there's more to come. But mm. I think, like now, I think the Monza win last year has kind of taken over that for me. It's probably the first time I've said that, and it's mainly because a wise coach once told me that your your greatest growth can come from your darkest times. Mm. And there, there was a very dark time last year where you know Daniel wasn't performing to, I guess, his own standards. You know, the the, the external world had their own you know, standards of Daniel, we can, we can't control that, but it's also like, you know, you also take that with, with a compliment, you know, mm-hmm. people do have high standards of him because they, they do realize of, you know, the caliber of driver he is, and it just wasn't working for us last year. And you could probably agree that he pulled that win out of nothing. Like it came out of nowhere. And, and I was really proud of that. Like that was a, that was probably, yeah, I'm probably going to say that's probably my proudest moment only because he had his back against the wall for for, for nine months, you know, mm. media was on him, on his back for the entire time, you know, consistently getting beaten by your teammates, never fun. Mm. You know, that's that was the reality of it all. And very easy to go on your shell and and hide and, you know, I guess, you know, build up some bitterness and and blame the world for all your problems. But, uh, you know, he went out that race and uh, he reminded everyone that he's, he's still good enough. So, yeah, that, I think that race has more meaning now for me.
0: Oh, and we're not-so-secret McLaren fans on the podcast, so that was definitely a highlight of last year for us, getting the the, the one-two there. It was fantastic to see. And obviously, you know, Danny Rick's such a lovable character as well. You know, everybody has great things to say about him. This last couple of years has been a bit difficult for him, and as he's probably been struggling more than he has previous to that. What do you do from your side of the things to try and help him kind of get out of these ruts and build him up to get him back to, to his winning ways?
3: Yeah, a bit of positive reinforcement, you know. Like life's life's as good as how you look at it. And mm. the thing is, with you know, Daniel's bad day is probably ninety percent of people's good days, you know. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, you kind yeah. of you kind of you, you got to look at it that way. And I think any athlete in any sport is always going to go through a bit of a roller coaster. Right? I, don't, I don't even think if you look at the best players in the world, whether you talk about Roger Federer, LeBron James, you know, Michael Jordan, you know, Tom Brady, I think there's always been a particular time in their career where they faced some some adversity and they faced a bit of, you know, off form as you mm. probably want to describe it. And that's, that's part of being a sportsman. You're never going to, as as much as you'd love to in a perfect world and be on top of your game for, for, for your entire career, it's never going to be the case. You know, you could even talk about Lionel Messi this year, you know, struggling a little bit at the start of the year with PSG. So, yeah, I think it was just making sure that he understood that, you know, it's, it's not... It's not forever, right? It's, it's it's temporary. Focus on what you can control, right? So you can't control. There's a lot of external factors in motorsport that you can't control, which is the frustrating thing about it, all right? It can, it can create a bit of an emotional whirlwind where you know you travel twelve hours to to, to Japan and then you could be hit turn one or you get a puncture or you know you could be Carlos Sainz and just have an you know, aquaplane off lap one, which that could happen to absolutely anyone, you know, mm-hmm. at a given time. It's just. And then, you know, your race ends that stuff, the stuff you just can't control. So for us, it's like, okay, let's, let's ignore the external environment and let's just focus on what we can control and what we can control is obviously our emotions. So how we actually deal with it all, our attitude So how we approach every race weekend and how we approach our training. Right. So, you know, what do you want to get out of training? How hard are you going to train? How committed are you going to be? These are all factors that you can control like your intent. So, the, these are the stuff that I kind of like focus on when Daniel will be like, cool, let's just focus on the process, right? And then the rest will kind of fall into place. And yeah, it's obviously easier said than done, but me as a coach is where I come in to to help him with that and guide him.
2: It must be a, a roller coaster of of what you go through as well. Do you get I mean it's it must not be easy for sort of his circle of of people as well that like he travels with, you know. And obviously Daniel goes through it all, but so does so does everyone else. So it must be so difficult. But you've worked with him in in three separate teams. I'm not too sure if you'd be inclined to say which was the better work environment for you both, which did you feel more comfortable and at ease with?
3: Yeah, I mean, it's a hard one because First year, I was, ne- I was never really comfortable because I was into a new environment. And then, obviously, the the longer you stay within a sport, and the longer you with a, a particular athlete, the more comfortable and you become, and you kind of you're nurtured in that environment. So, yeah, I think that's hard to hard for me to comment. I, I will say though, like, you know, you, you change a team, and you probably think that everything really does change. I mean, the the names change. the you know, s- some processes within a team change that you kind of got to have to get up to speed with, but come race, race weekend. It's, it's the same, you know, you're in a garage and you're racing to win. You're just wearing a different color. So, and, and, you know, I guess you could say from a driver's capacity, I guess a different car is, is very different too. You know, and that's something that Daniel's obviously been been involved with over the last three seasons. It's like, okay, the, you know, the McLaren car is very different to the Renault car and the Renault car is very different to the Red Bull car. So I think from a driver's standpoint is a lot more different than what I actually have to go through. As, yeah. a, as a coach, but fortunately enough, I've, I've had very fond and, and positive experiences with, with, with every team that I've, I've been a part of and I, I wouldn't change it. And, you know, to this day, I'll, I'll walk past Red Bull or I'll walk past Alpine and got plenty of friends in, 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 in their, in their hospitality that I'll always come and come and say hello to.
2: And which has the best food, just out of curiosity?
3: <laughs> oh, shit. Well, I'm actually friends with all the chefs as well, so I need to be careful what I say here. <laughs> but I'm going to say they've all got their particular dish. So like for McLaren, they do like their brownies is iconic. So mm-hmm. they have a really good brownie where Rosano from Renault, now Alpine, he did like the best lasagna. He was so good at lasagna. And Red Bull, used, I don't know if they still do it, but they actually used to make their own home ice cream. And they used to do the best Nutella ice cream, like to a point where Daniel would actually grab the tub and put it in his room after a race and, and <laughs> eat the entire Nutella ice cream. So I think they all had their uh, their specialties that uh, have, have touched my soul very, very, very deeply.
2: <laughs> oh, that's
1: great. Uh, if, if I ever get paddock passes, I know which which motorhomes I'm going into to try to get some food.
3: <laughs> yeah, Al- Alpine, Alpine for lasagna and then just go to Red Bull. Red Bull, Bull for dessert. For dessert. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I wanted to take it back a couple of years ago. We had the, the I suppose, lockdown or delay of the 2020 season. And yourself and Daniel have been putting up, put up videos and you did it again, like earlier this year, of training on the farm as opposed to training in a gym. So yeah. whose idea was that? And how did the exercise and the workouts differ from your point of view, planning them, and from Danny's point of view, going through them because it's not like gyms and weights. It was very different.
3: Yeah, I guess from my point, I had no bloody choice. We were in lockdown, so I had to... I had to figure out a way how to train him, and we're on a farm, uh, so I thought, okay, well, I asked him I like, where, where, where do you store all your tractors and, and all your gear? And he said, uh, and he pointed up down the hill, and he said, down there. So I, I grabbed the buggy and I, I drove down and had a bit of a look, and I found some, found some chains, and I found some concrete hmm. bags, and found a sledgehammer and a tie, and I thought, all right, I can make this work here, so. <laughs> I found some logs and I thought, all right, I'm going to create a bit of a circuit here. And, uh, you know, believe it or not, he, he actually really enjoyed it. I think the, the thing is that Daniel, he, like, he loves, he gets he gets bored real quickly. So you need really, you need, really need to freshen things up. So I think, you know, bringing him down to his farm and all right, cool. We're going to do a farm workout that actually really excited him. We actually had a good time, played some music and just smashed it out. And. All I remember is our hands just got filthy. I probably, mm. We probably should have wore gloves because, uh, yeah, we're picking up cement bags and rusted chains, and I think we had to wash our hands like four or five times Co- after the session. But COVID was, would have uh, been the it, least of your
1: worries for that. <laughs>
3: yeah, yeah, no, there was no COVID. There's there no COVID on this farm. I think he's got uh, he's got land for days on that farm, so there was not a there was not a, a human in sight. But it was, I guess, it was it was quite nice. Like, is is just different, right? You're out mm. in the open, you're in the sun, you're out in some nature. So uh, yeah, um, it, it was good fun. And yeah, Daniel, I think he did some did, we did some filming and yeah, I think he posted It and actually, yeah, it, was, uh, it was a good one. We had some friends to join us as well.
1: Yeah, it looked a lot of fun and kind of just just continuing on from that in terms of like his training. Obviously, he's, you mentioned before, you've worked with other athletes. You know, you've worked with cricketers, V8 drivers, what you would call professional footballers, what we would call AFL players. How did their trainings differ from a Formula One driver, or even say the Formula One, a Formula One driver versus a V8 supercars driver, obviously like there'd be a a different requirement for downforce and stuff like that at G-Force training. So how, 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 how is it different from, from like athlete to athlete and sport to sport?
3: Yeah, it's, it's very different. It's, it's very sport specific. You know, I think the the V8 boys, they've got a bit of neck support and helmet support with with their actual, their setup. So, I mean, I hope they don't take this in the wrong way, but they do, probably don't need as strong as necks as, as what uh, the Formula One boys need. So, yeah, there, there's a lot going on there. There's a lot of, you know, for, for, there's not much differences besides the G-Force and probably the next training with the, the, the VA boys. You know, they still, there's still a bit of, you know, heat resistance training because they're in fire resistance suits and they, mm. they know that they, they race in hot climates. They're under a lot of isometric loading. So, very similar Football is you know, very different. That's a very dynamic style of of sport. So you know, probably a lot more of eccentric training to to, to limit injuries because it's a very explosive sport. Probably a lot, a lot more cardiovascular heavy because they, you know I think I think the boys doing it like over fourteen kilometers a, a game from memory, if, I, if I'm if I'm standing correctly. So, and you know, and and that's 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 a fast pace where you know the the, the Formula One drivers I think their heart rate probably only goes up to 60, 70% of their max heart rate. And it probably sits, sits there for, for an entire race, depending on, you know, their the, the heat environment and also the mm. the altitude. Sorry. I'm, 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 I nearly forgot that word there for a second, but yeah. So like in Mexico coming up, you know, with the altitude, I think the altitude's about three, over 3000 meters above sea it's level. High, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that, so that could put a, a little bit more of an extra exertion on, on, on the heart. So they, their heart rates may increase a little bit more above 70 percent, but mm-hmm. when you talk on football you know they, they're going they're, they're, they're over 90 percent. you know they're, they're sprinting they're they're, they're tackling they're, they're jumping so it's a completely different style of, of of training
1: yeah we saw a few more like in the lead up to, to singapore obviously being so like the, the hottest most difficult race of the of the year i think was it Carlos Sainz put up a video that he was on a psych on a spinning bike in a sauna for like several hours did you have any wild ideas like that for danny do you think that was carlos's trainer just you know screwing with him a little bit or
3: (laughs) no no they're not screwing not screwing him there's definitely there's definitely a purpose behind it i think yeah so so heat heat acclimation training is is it's definitely a thing It's, it's a it's a it's a proven thing how you go about it you know there's there's particular methods you can go about it but uh, but training in the heat is definitely one which is what uh, you saw with carlos and what uh, his trainer trainer rupert was essentially conducting for him you know heat acclimation training usually you can get a good you know thermal effect from that within 10 days so um, ideally you know you, you do it longer than 10 days but because of our actual schedule we usually only get 10 days leading up to Singapore, which is, you know, it's usually enough. So usually I, I get Daniel in in track suits, four or five layers, put the heater on, get him training in a hot environment, but also post training sessions, getting him in a sauna and making him, you know, controlling his breathing and actually getting his body familiar with with, with a hot environment and actually controlling his his breath work. In such a, I guess, restricted heated, heated environment. So no, it's it's definitely a thing. It's you don't just, it's not something that you just do for for social media. It actually <laughs> helps, I promise. And uh, it's it's not just for Singapore. You know, Bud- Budapest gets super hot. Mm. Miami this year, this Miami this year was brutal. Um, Saudi was brutal this year, Saudi Arabia, and we've got another one. We've got Abu Dhabi coming Abu up, Dhabi. which is always yeah. tough. So yeah, so there's there's quite a few stints there where you can um you can adopt a bit of that. Thankfully, thankfully for us for us like being Australian every single pre-season is, is, in, is in like the heat and Perth mm. is super hot in January and February and, and in December. So we love the heat. Daniel loves the <laughs> heat. He's probably, he's probably one of the the drivers that actually thrives in the heat. So we actually love it. We're kind of like, yeah, bring on the challenge. You know, like if there's going to be, there's going to be a driver that fatigues in the last 10 laps, it, it's not going to be Daniel because he's mm. yeah, I guess we're, we're born and raised in the heat. <laughs> I
2: think if no. it gets to about 32 over here, I'm like, Oh my God, I need to get in the freezer. I'm just not used to it. It's just too humid.
1: <laughs> I, I was yeah, in Hungary. It's quite funny. I was in Hungary a couple of years ago, and it was like 36 at, when the lights went out. And even just stood there watching, we burnt to a crisp. So I can only imagine how tough that. And it wasn't even that humid. So I can only imagine how tough that must have been for the drivers. And then by comparison, how difficult Singapore or Japan when it's sunny must be, because I've been to Japan as well, and it is swelteringly hot there when it's sunny in August. So I imagine a, a hot Japan is is a tough one as well.
3: Yeah. It's super tough because what people have to understand is you know, they're, they're wearing fire resistant suits and in their cockpit, they're right next to the engine. So, and, and, and they're, they got rubber tires, right? Which is just like, it's just, the heat is just steaming off the tires and you're right next to the asphalt, which is just as hot, right? So if it's a 36 degree day, the asphalt's probably 50 mm-hmm. and then the cockpit, the cockpit's probably 55 degrees, right? It's probably even hotter. Then you got you got a helmet, you got a balaclava, you got fire-resistant suit. So you got all this external equipment that's preventing your thermal body temperature from cooling down, right? So then what happens is if your thermal you start having this 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 thermal regulation, like you don't have this thermal regulation happening in the body where your body's trying to cool down. So then all of a sudden, your your internal core temperature is increasing, which means you start perspirating more, right? So then you start sweating more, you start losing fluid, Mm. and which then brings you know which Onsets, uh, quicker dehydration, right? And then we, we all know as as coaches, or, you know, you, you, some of you may know is that once you become dehydrated, that's when uh, fatigue starts to kick in from a cognitive capacity and a physical capacity. So that's where hydration protocols are super important and being fit is super important because you're trying to delay the onset of fatigue, right? Because the quicker you fatigue in a race, your performance is going to, you know, you're going to start to lose one or two tenths per lap, which is not what you want, right? So that's why you always see the fitter drivers lasts the last longer and probably you know you probably see the fit of drivers the last 10 laps start outperforming the rest of the drivers. So it's mm. uh, it's 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 friggin' tough because you're only I think even the drinks the drink system you're probably can only get like one, 1. 1.2 liters of water in the drink system behind this behind the, the seat, the driver's seat, which is not much <laughs> over mm. a two hour which is over a two hour period because these guys are losing like in a hot race, two and a half, three kilos of sweat. Mm.
0: And it gets warm as well, and it mustn't must be very kind of refreshing either while you're while you're
3: having that. Yeah, you're drinking hot tea, unfortunately. That's <laughs> not, <laughs> not great.
2: You and Daniel, you're not. You don't just work together. You're not just his trainer, and he's not just someone that you know you work for. And he's your athlete. Obviously, you're also friends, and you guys have a lot of fun while you're away and traveling, especially like the ranch, for instance. Like you're in LA now together. What What's the craziest thing you've done together as friends?
3: Oh, that's a good question. Apart I from the parkour
2: one. thing that we all saw like, and, and I loved, by yes. the way, <laughs> was it was brilliant. I think that, I watched that, really... that at least once a week.
3: <laughs> I, th- I think that was just a severe state of boredom. I think that was <laughs> the craziest thing we've done. I mean, look, there was something that we did. I mean, it's probably not that crazy, but i tell you what, at the time it felt crazy. So we went on that Montana trip and uh, we stayed at a, at a friend's ranch and we saw like a little stream that was coming down through the ranch where we stayed and we asked the ranch, we asked the ranch, I know he said, his name was Johnny. And we said, look, I want to do a cold plunge. Like how cold is that? And he laughed and he said, that's, that's, that's ice. That's come straight from the top of that hill. He's like, you walk, you guys, you jump in there. You're going to know about it. So me and Dr. always up for a challenge. We, we jumped in and uh, uh, my body froze. Like I couldn't, I actually couldn't move. (laughs) Like my body just went into like a bit of a, like a like a frozen frozen state essentially, and I just like like couldn't get out of the the bloody creek. <laughs> but that was that was something pretty crazy. That's something pretty stupid but crazy that we decided <laughs> to do, and it was uh, it was beyond any Wim Hof cold plunge, I think. But uh, that's that's probably the earliest memory I think I have. Besides that, yeah, we've been on some trips together. I mean, we've been on some epic heights heights in Austria. So we love hiking. And Daniel loves sitting over cliffs and giving me a heart attack and trying to get a great photo. So <laughs> yeah. he's 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 done some he's done some crazy crazy stuff like that where I won't even come get close to it to a cliff because I got, I got I'm afraid of heights. But uh, yeah, he's done he's done some stupid stuff like that. He's, <laughs> it's, felt cra- it's felt crazy from my side.
0: Are you the person that t- tries to hold him back a bit and say no, you don't need to do that. <laughs> you can you can be yeah, a little less head.
3: Yeah, I'm always the responsible teacher. You know, the you know the teacher that you always go and camp with, and he's trying to ruin the fun because he's like, you can't do this, you can't do that. Yeah, that's me. I'm <laughs> always the party pooper because I'm trying trying to get him to the next race in one piece.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, talking about races, which is your favourite race of all to go to? Personally,
3: I'm probably gonna say Austin, the one coming up. It's just so fun. Like, I, I love the city. Mm. I love I love the vibe that it brings. It's like it brings the it really brings the diehard American motorsport fans. It they really do. Like it's it's awesome. It's an awesome vibe. I love barbecue. I love I love live music. I love I love country music. So for mm. me, it just everything's great. From a circuit though, for me, nothing comes close to Suzuka. I think that is literally like that's just a track on its own, on its own merit. I think it just it just sits above all for me. I would love to drive that track. I think that's so symbolic and I hope we don't lose Suzuka because that is It's just epic. I'm sure, I mean, if if you're a motorsport fan and you watch the onboards, it just, it must look epic too, right? Oh yeah, definitely. So yeah, from, from a track Suzuka by an absolute mile and from a race weekend, based on... I guess my, 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 likes in life, I, I, Austin works quite well.
1: Well, I have to agree. I think Suzuka would definitely be my favorite track. And if we ever lost it, I, I'd probably stop watching Formula One because it would be such a shame. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah me too. I, I think They're I think good. a lot of hardcore fans w- w- would turn off after that. Um, it, even,
0: it even proved it this weekend, didn't it? You know, it gave, it gave us a, a, yeah. an interesting, even though it was a shortened race, it gave us an interesting uh, a, kind of that. race on there.
1: Half five in the morning I got up for that and I watched two hours of a red flag is how much I love Suzuka. <laughs> no, I, I got
2: I got up for it and then I was like, oh, it's a red flag. It won't, it won't be on for ages and I went back to sleep and then I woke up an hour after it finished and I was like, oh, I nice. can't believe I've just missed but, it all. I, I got up all, you know, early for nothing. Oh, so my, girl,
1: my girlfriend <laughs> refused to get up first thing with me and which she woke up at eight o'clock. The race was just starting. So I was a little <laughs> bit annoyed about that. Looking to the future, obviously, you know, Danny said himself this, this weekend that it's... Potentially, unfortunately, looking a bit unlikely, they'd have a seat for next year, which obviously is a huge shame. We're McLaren fans; we're sad to, to see him go. And I think everyone who's ever watched Formula One in the past five years, ten years, is a Daniel Ricciardo fan. So, with the uncertainty around what he's doing next year, where does that leave you? Like, do you stay with him? Do you follow him to a new team if he takes on like a reserve role, or do you maybe part ways for for a while until something else comes along for him? Where does that leave you?
3: Yeah, it's a good question. So, so me and daniel have spoken about it you know we we spoke in private probably like mid, mid-year when we found out the unfortunate news about you know his termination of the contract so me me and daniel are going to part ways mutually you know he's going to like you said he released uh, over the weekend and he he won't be on the grid next year so i am looking at the moment actively for for, for other drivers so you know there's there's potential to to work with with, with the driver whether it's you know Formula One, Formula Two, Formula Three. I have a lot of junior boys that I really enjoy coaching as well. So yes, my passion still lies within motorsport. I do want to stay in motorsport, but I'm also yeah. open to to other professional sports for sure. So yeah, very, very interesting for me. It's, it's an exciting time in my career. You know, I've done five years with Daniel and we've, We've had an amazing time together, and he's obviously got—I don't want to say new chapter because you know he—he he could definitely be back in the sport into 2024. But mm. he's definitely going through a, you know a, a different period of his life, so he, he wants to go away and and, and work on that, and uh, that doesn't involve me, which is completely fine. And so yeah, I'm currently looking, and, and I'm, I'm exciting for—I'm uh, excited for what the new new challenge lies for me. So hopefully, I'll know by another month or so, I'll I'll have, I'll have something I'll have something locked in.
1: I suppose any Formula One, two, three, V eight, or IndyCar drivers looking for a a new PT who happen to be listening, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, contact Michael.
3: <laughs> yeah, first. That's actually first, first to hear it. I haven't told anyone that, so I've just gone and told your podcast. So well done.
0: <laughs> could you maybe work for a team? We we had very briefly a member of our team was actually was a personal trainer herself, and she she went to work with the teams themselves, so the the, the mechanics, the engineers, those sorts of things, and and do their training regimes. Would that be something maybe you could look into? But would McLaren look into hiring you? Do you think is that a good place to go, or do you think you'd personally like to stick with a driver?
3: you know, that's definitely a potential, but if I'm being completely honest, I I do want to stick to, to training athletes. That's, that's my, that's my niche. That's my forte. That's what I love doing. And I've, I've just, I've built up an incredible knowledge and experience within motorsport athletes. And I think it's such a niche field and I'd love to continue that. And I'm, I'm very confident it will. Good. Yeah. Steph.
2: (sighs) I'm just so upset. (laughs) <laughs> I feel oh. like
0: I'm gonna cry.
2: Oh, <laughs> like Daniel was like the first, the first driver that I loved of Formula One when I was younger, and I just don't want, I don't want to smile to go. I mean, I sung him "Happy Birthday" at Silverstone for Christ's sake. Like, I didn't think that he'd be leaving so soon, you know. But hopefully, we'll see him back in in 2024.
3: Yeah, it's 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 gone. It's felt it's felt quick. Like the, the five years ago, it felt super quick. And yeah, I, I guess that's the that's the. I guess that's the hard thing about formula one is that it moves quick. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's only, there's only a particular amount of drivers in, in the world that they get to do this sport. So, you know, you have to, you have to make the most of it and you have to just embrace it because before you know it, you're, you're going to a season without seeing Sebastian Vettel and Daniel Ricciardo. And it's going to be, it's going to be weird, man. Like that's, mm-hmm. you know, it's, 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 it's just, a, yeah, it's the way sport works, right? It's the transition.
1: I don't think if you told us in 2014, when Danny came in to start wiping the floor with Vettel, that the two of them would be leaving the sport in the same year that anyone would have believed us.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a funny way the sport works out, but you know, I, I I say that and maybe the start of 2020 or maybe the end of 2024, I'm saying the same thing and saying, it's funny how things work out. Right. So Mm. you never know, hopefully for, for his sake, if he does want to continue racing that he finds, he finds something that's suitable for him in 2024.
2: Would you, would you go back to working with him in 2024 if he was to, if he was to obviously come back to the grid, would would that be something that you contemplate if he asked?
3: i are asking some big questions here. Um, <laughs> Sorry.
2: <that was> <laughs> so philosophical.
3: No, I guess, I guess that, that question is depends because, you know, if I'm with another driver ethically as a coach, I, 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 I couldn't do that. You know, mm-hmm. like of if, if, I, if, if I'm with another driver and I'm enjoying my time and it's working and, and, I'm building a a very solid relationship with another driver ethically as a coach. I I couldn't do that as, as as my, you know, and I'm I'm sure Daniel would and Daniel understands that as well. So yeah, that, that my answer is depends, depends what I'm doing next year. Depends what happens, but yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely a possibility for sure. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't completely close that out.
0: And you're friends anyway. So you'd be, you know, you'd be able to speak to each other and see each other as, as often as you, as you wanted to anyway. So
3: Yeah, we'll probably do more 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 crazy holidays together, and I'll probably (laughs) have cooler stories for you, Steph.
0: So, if you could pick any sport, any sports star that you could do, like we're calling, we'll call these like fantasy world. Who who would you like to train and work with in any sports across any discipline or anything like that?
3: I love tennis and NBA, so they're they're like my two other real passions, and 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 well, I'd probably throw NFL in there too, to be honest. So. I'm talking tennis. I I I'd love to I mean probably sound a bit biased cuz I'm Australian but I'd love to coach Nick Kyrgios. Mm. I think he's got he's very he's got a lot of things I I guess a lot of traits I'd love to coach in particular. All right. And I think from an NBA perspective I'd love to I'd love to train Zion Williamson. I think he's obviously like a huge prospect but I'd love to I'd love to get involved with him. He'd be he'd be an awesome one. Again, we, we we're just talking like yeah, fantasy. Like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Fantasy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so those two, those two pop into mind for sure. NFL. Not really. I don't really have like a particular, I guess, person I would like to train. I mean, I, I'm a big, big Josh Allen fan. Massive on the on the kids. So, you know, if if I could work with him at some capacity, that would also be an awesome fantasy. But but yeah, they're probably the the, the three main sports stuff at in Another one. I'm a massive. <laughs> I, I'm a massive Liverpool fan. So if, yeah. If, if I got sucked into football, Liverpool would, would be the team I'd love to, to work with as well. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough.
0: Sean or Steph, have got any more questions for Michael before we round up
1: the podcast? Uh, just just one about, obviously, your, your current team, not to kind of play favourites against any of your previous teams, but what have you enjoyed most about working in McLaren? Obviously, we're all, like we said, not-so-secret McLaren fans, so any kind of insight we can get into the team we always look for. What has been, in your point of view, Danny, you're not aside. The the best thing about working in and around McLaren for the past two years. Ah, oh, that's easy. The company car. <laughs> <laughs> very nice. It's a very good answer. I like that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so has he has he gone that down a few of the motorways? Has he then?
3: No comment. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Everything
2: was conducted in Mexico. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know who it was. I think it was like my mum when I was younger. She was like, "Sure, if you grow up and you want to go work in Formula One, they give you a Formula One car and you can take it home. <laughs> and I was like, really? She was like, yeah, you can go really fast. And I was like, oh my God, this is brilliant. And <laughs> since that, that's that's what I've wanted to do. I want to drive a Formula One car home.
0: <laughs> I don't think it works like that. No, it doesn't work like that. But I mean, I, I
2: pretend, I pretend.
3: I hope that's my end of your present. i would be Definitely.
2: Do you have any plans for the rest of the day slash week on the run up to the next race?
3: Yeah, we will do a bit of neck training. What else am I gonna do for him? A bit of like a bit of just like dynamic, like dynamic stretching stuff, just to keep him keep him mobile. So pretty easy day for me. And I've I'm I've gone back to university so to do more studies because I get bored really easy. So then I just I try and I go back to university. It what my, is it you're street, doing? But, so I'm doing like a, a a masters in like applied sports science. So I'm looking at like cognitive performance in motorsport. So I'm doing some research and literature. So I've got, I've got a five thousand word literature review that I need to do. So that's going to keep me busy. For you can you can
2: come do my dissertation for me if you like. That would be a whole boatload of words well, off my plate. Well,
3: <laughs> you can you can you can do my review then. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, it's been really, really good talking to you anyway, Michael. I've I've really enjoyed it. Everyone should absolutely go and follow you on your Instagram and follow you uh, or go go and visit your website. And if you want a personal trainer, if you're a a Formula 1 driver up and coming or Formula 2, Formula 3 driver, give Michael a call.
3: Love that. Thanks, James.
0: we are everything f1 you can find us on all our social platforms we're on facebook twitter instagram youtube tiktok as well and of course our shiny website www.everythingf1.com and you are also listening to us on this podcast we'd love it if you were to hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast streaming service to get all of our latest podcasts in your earlobes as soon as they drop. thank you very much
3: for coming to speak to us today I appreciate it, guys. Thanks, James. Thanks, Steph. Thanks, Sean. Thanks Thanks very much. Thank you. Really enjoyed speaking to you guys.
1: Pleasure chatting to you. It's been brilliant. Thank you.